0: welcome back to another episode of How's the Pressure. I am your host, Haley Winter, and this week I'm bringing in Dr. Ben Benjamin to talk about being an expert witness in the massage court cases. Now, I've been curious about how massage therapists and massage businesses get sued for a long time. And when I think about it, there's always like a twinge of fear. And I think most of that fear comes from not knowing how often it actually happens, and worrying that because I'm not completely informed on the topic, that I'm more at risk. Anyways, for those of you who know me, if I have a fear or an anxiety around a subject, then it's usually not too long before I find a way to have a public conversation about it. So here we are. And I thought it'd be good to bring in Ben to talk about this topic because he has extensive experience in the massage room, the classroom, and the courtroom. Now, Ben has been in the field for over three decades. He is regularly called upon to be an expert witness for massage legal cases, and I have been searching for quite some time to find someone in his position to interview about this subject. I'm truly grateful for his honesty and forthcoming nature, as I have had several individuals tell me that they simply don't want to be put on the record for this subject matter. So I really appreciate his candor, And it helps me remember that it takes some resolve and a degree of risk to be willing to put your opinions out into the public sphere. So I hope it's from that perspective that you listen to this conversation. I give you my conversation with Ben Benjamin. All right, Ben, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, you're welcome. So let's just start off with uh, something that I think is really interesting, and I know a lot of massage therapists uh, are worried about litigation and 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 where they might be liable, uh, and most of us don't know where we might be liable or, w- or how to behave around that that particular avenue. So in your time as an expert witness, what were some of the most common reasons for massage therapists or massage companies to get sued?
1: Well, the most common reasons for massage therapists or clinics or spas to get sued is that the companies are often more interested and more concerned about their brand or their reputation, you know, and their bottom line or their bottom line than the welfare of the clients and the therapists. And you know, I've testified in cases where multiple clients have complained about a particular male therapist. They might say, he touched my breast or he said I had a nice butt or... Uh, or he maybe leaned his pelvis against my head or worked really high on my thigh and touched the outer part of my genital. You know, in most cases, the owner, you know, sat down, you know, it's usually in a spa or a clinic. In most cases, the owner sits down with the therapist who denies everything, and the owner never speaks to the client in a lot of cases. Sometimes they do, and that's smart. You know, in another uh, client, you might see that same therapist and then call the police, you know, uh, after they were assaulted. And in most cases, the therapist, you know, touches the, the, a female client's vagina and or inserts his finger. Um, The client, you know, often goes into shock, usually goes into shock and freezes and can't even speak. And in one case, I remember the client was crying uncontrollably in the waiting room. And when the incident was reported in the local paper, six, more women came forward who had similar experiences but were too embarrassed to to come forward or say anything. Wow. So that's a typical that's a typical scenario.
0: So in your experience is the, is it the sexual assault that is much more common than an injury that results in in litigation?
1: That's true. Yeah. Well, I mean, I specialize have specialized more in sexual assault. I'm not sure what the statistics are nationally, but maybe 10% of my cases uh, are injury and ninety percent of the cases I see are sexual assault, but that's my experience. I mean, others might
0: just do injury, uh, but there's a lot of cases out there. And when we're when we're having these these conversations or these, these cases that that come up, uh, the ones that you've described they seem very overt, very blatant. I mean, touching a genital or inserting your fingers, uh, that's clearly crossing a line. I'm curious if there are other less, uh, less obvious transgressions that end up making their way into court.
1: Well, the most common instances are the result of you know either poor education or lack of screening practices, or especially by large clinics and, and large spa chains. There are subtle things that happen, but they usually end up not so great, uh, you know. They usually escalate over time, and you can't really stop every predator. But we could do a much better job if we had higher quality education. We had longer training programs. We did better screening and acceptance into schools, you know. And if larger companies had really good screening and hiring processes before they employed a new therapist, you know, these days they're having trouble finding enough therapists. So they may be having a tendency to, to really lower their standards. And it, you, know, you can have things like, oh, somebody touched my, the side of my breast or somebody said something too personal or somebody made a remark. Uh, but those are usually things on the way to sexual abuse, and people don't do much about it.
0: Yeah. So for massage therapists who are concerned about being misinterpreted, and having uh, the client misunderstand any of the work that they do, what are some things that they can do to lower the chances of them being accused or misinterpreted
1: well one thing is don't get personal with a client you know you know keep it very professional don't ask per- really personal questions don't tell them about yourself uh, drape every client really firmly and securely uh, have uh, ongoing, meaningful education in terms of boundaries and ethics. And, and if you really want to be careful, then you hire yourself a supervisor that you meet with every three weeks or every month. And you discuss difficult experiences with clients who overstep your boundaries. Uh, or you work on that, you know, like if for instance, you're making friends with all your clients, you have a boundary problem. Uh, or if you're attracted to lots of clients or you get aroused by lots of clients, that means you need a supervisor who is a, usually a psychologist or a social worker who knows about body work. In my school, we used to have 10 uh, people who were therapists who were hired to do, su- to do supervision in the school for students in the professional clinic and the uh, student clinic. And some of them hired these people after they graduated so that they would know how to handle those kinds of things. And I personally had a supervisor for many, many, many years it 's not very common in our profession, but you 're looking at naked bodies all the day, you know like you're you 're doing something very personal and intimate, and you need to be very careful and If you have good boundaries in life you 'll have good boundaries in work and the people who don
0: 't have good boundaries that 's what happens so for someone who at least understand that it may, they may not have the best boundaries or it's something that's a work in progress for them, uh, hiring a supervisor, whether it's a psychologist or a more experienced therapist, to kind of give them a secondary perspective uh, can be useful in that process.
1: Yeah, again, I wouldn't hire a therapist. I would hire, I would hire a massage therapist who's been a teacher of ethics and communication in a school. Just a thera- therapist doesn't mean you're a teacher. It doesn't mean you know how to supervise. It's a particular skill. Huh. That you're coaching the therapist around very sensitive issues. So I would I would definitely do that. That's a great
0: idea. And for a massage therapist, let's just say a massage therapist is accused of sexual misconduct. Uh, how should they behave and what should they do immediately after that? Because I think that that's something that, you know, if when it happens, I can, if I'm projecting myself into that situation and I'm ac- accused of sexual assault or, or being mis- inappropriate, I can imagine myself freezing um, being shocked yeah, sure. myself, and so I'm sure. curious. What what are some of the things that that, that, that should be done that um, has the best chances of lowering the the tension of the of the immediate moment, and also protecting yourself? Well, two things.
1: One is either if you did it, then you admit it, you know, right away. If you didn't, you're just going to be completely straightforward and honest. You know, in every case that I've been involved in in the, uh, in the therapist you know, client situation. The therapist was found guilty and most actually confessed. You know, women, you know, generally, you know, don't accuse people of sexual abuse and sexual abuse. I mean, you know, look at what they have to go through. I mean, it's a torturous, painful path. It's embarrassing. It's enraging. It's really personal. You're talking about all these incredibly personal things. It's pretty upsetting, you know, like, it's not something that somebody – and it goes on for, like, years
0: sometimes. So it's not something that, you know, people talk about lightly. So a fear of a massage therapist that someone's going to unintentionally or mistakenly accuse them of sexual assault is very low in your experience.
1: Uh, it's very, very, very low. Yeah, very low. I mean I've never had a case of it. You know, No, that's not true. I had one case of it. I have one case that's ongoing right now, and I think the guy – he was tired, and he w- it was a darkened room. It was in the woman's house, you know, and I think he didn't do anything, and I think he he just was very tired, and his hands sort of – it was a little sloppy maybe, but he wasn't trying to abuse her, um, and he's, you know, he's fighting it. So it doesn't happen very often, though, and I've been doing this for 12, 13 years, and that's the only time I've ever heard of that. When I was on the case of the, the person who was being accused – it ended up that they did it, you know, and they confessed in the end, and the case was over. Um, so most of these cases have to do with the spa and money. They don't have to do with jail because most of the people get guilty. They go to jail. They lose their license, etc. cetera. But then the spa or clinic is sued for lots of money because this damages this person's whole life. I mean, they're not – they can't have sex with their partner. They're, you know, they're really traumatized for many, many, many years, maybe their whole lives. So that's what they're suing about.
0: Hmm. The wrap-up of this particular aspect is that if, someone's, if someone does accuse you of sexual misconduct, it's a very high percentage chance that they actually had that experience. Yeah, and I'd that, say so. Yeah. And even if you didn't necessarily recognize it as such in the moment, uh, to not necessarily invalidate their experience. Um, but I'm curious, still going back to the point, like if someone says, y- you did this to me, what, what are some of the words that you should say? What are some, what are some of the um, uh, the stances? Obviously, you said be honest and straightforward, but how would you say that practically would play out?
1: It's hard for me to answer your question because I have not had cases where that's happened. It usually has happened and the guy was lying. mm mm-hmm. Just lying, you yeah. know, ball faced lying. And it's a very, very small percentage of people who do this. You know, 99% of all the therapists out there are great, honest, terrific people who wouldn't dream of doing something like this. It's a few people, you know, a very small percentage, a few hundred maybe. That, but they do this to multiple women. They don't just do it once. They do it, you know, like a guy in a spa recently. He, was, he abused nine women. And there were signs along the way but the, the, the business didn't really investigate.
0: You know? And as soon as he was caught, he admitted it. So for a practitioner who's working in a spa situation or in a, uh, a massage center situation, what is the best way to hold fellow massage therapists accountable if you become aware that there is misconduct? Okay, So if you're aware of sexual misconduct by another practitioner –
1: you know, you want to report it to the clinic or spa that you're working in. And if you're an independent practitioner, you should report it to the massage board. And there are, there are people out there who are independent practitioners who do that. You know, I mean, who, who do abuse people and other people hear about it. And then, you know, it's taken. I mean, because it hurts all of us if those people are not gotten out of the profession.
0: So uh, when we're talking here, you're clearly using the pronouns he and she in a a very one direction. The the male therapists abusing uh, female clients. I'm wondering if this happens the other way around in your experience.
1: Um, I have never had a case of a woman sexually abusing a man and traumatizing him. That may happen, but I've never seen one. Now, most cases of sex in the massage therapy setting are the result of human trafficking. Young women are recruited from countries all around the world uh, with lies. You know, an ad is often placed in a paper promising a well-paying job, you know, for example, as a receptionist, maybe. And then the woman arrives. She's met by a kind-looking person who's dressed well, and that person takes her passport and brings her to a place, puts her in a room, and then she's locked up. Then she's sexually abused, raped, and then she's often injected with r- drugs against her will. Then, you know, she's now a slave to her captor. And this is a very inexpensive way for criminals to make lots of money and with very little danger. Uh, an average woman in this situation is threatened or beaten if she doesn't produce about $1,000 a day. No days off either. Uh, and so each woman that a criminal has to do this kind of job brings in about $7,000 a week. And if you have five women doing this job of massage prostitution, which is in these you know, parlors, you're making in about $35,000 a week with very minimal expense and a very low likelihood that you're going to get arrested and go to jail. And men are a part of this problem as well. You know, for example, you know, we wouldn't have a drug problem in this country if people didn't want drugs. And Men are a very different type of human being than women. A large percentage of men will accept sexual approach from a woman, even if he doesn't know her, and especially if she's attractive, even if she isn't. And a very few, if any, women will do that. And there are thousands of houses of prostitution in this country where women are sexual slaves and they're threatened with their lives if they don't perform sexual acts on men. And there's more of that happening in the world today than you could ever imagine. There's more slavery in the world than there was 200 years ago of this type. And they also do it making them work for no wages and stuff like that. But this is very prevalent with women, children, even young boys. Hmm. I'm sorry to say, but this is the facts.
0: Hmm. So you said in your experience, it is not the other way around where women sexually abuse men. But I'm curious about the the no. reporting statistics on this, right? Because I'm I'm sure at some level this has to happen in sure. some ways because sure there's a lot in of instances way. out there. So what, in your experience, what is the the la, uh, the rate of reporting uh, for this type of sexual misconduct in the massage room? Uh, for the ones that you're aware of?
1: The rate of reporting, I think, is the same as in the general population. And the general population, just look at what the world has been going through in the past year. You know, all these women 20, 30, 40 years ago were all abused and being abused now and never speaking up. So I would say, you know, when I have a case and someone's abused and they put it in the newspaper, the local newspaper, five or six or seven or eight more women come forward. So I would say it's maybe 10% in my experience or less are reported. Most of it goes unreported. Matter of fact, I just talk to people I know who come to me as clients. And I told them I was writing this article you know, that was going to appear on sexual abuse and what I've learned as an expert witness. And almost every single person, man or woman, knows of somebody, or it happened to them, if they were a woman, that there was an abuse situation.
0: I mean, that's kind of mind-blowing. And you say that one person comes forward and five or six then come forward after that. But that's not even counting the people who don't come forward.
1: That's right. Exactly. And all the people in all the different places that this person has abused. You know, this person is a a sick person. This person is an ill person. I mean, they, they just shouldn't be touching people. You know, they shouldn't be in this profession.
0: So what can we change with regards to the ethics education in the classroom so that we help this issue? I mean, clearly there is a problem. Uh, so how, how, can we, how can we solve this? Or how can we, how can we make a dent in it?
1: Yeah, well, you've you hit on it. You know, this is the real issue. You know, since about the year 2000, some of the best massage schools have been purchased by large corporations who knew very little about the profession. They were more interested in profit than quality. And they cut the salaries of teachers, which caused uh, most of the seasoned experienced teachers to leave and quit. Uh, teacher training programs were cut if they ever existed in this particular school. Uh, support staff, you know, like you know, dean of students, that position is usually cut. A very important uh, job to keep an eye on how the students are doing. It's not only ethics courses that are needed. It's courses like communication skills, business, business management, including you know, how to create a business plan, client retention, how to run a business. So you don't have to go work for a spa. You can work for yourself. Uh, And ethic courses, which should include an understanding of boundaries, the dangers of dual relationships, having multiple kinds of relationships with a client, how to handle ethical dilemmas, and issues like, you know, how to handle when you get attracted to a client. Any therapist that's honest, they get attracted to a client occasionally. You know, how to respond if a client asks you out to lunch or tries to touch your leg. Uh, What do you do when a male client gets an erection? Uh, You know, these courses have been shrunk or cut. And it's also, it also takes a very, very skilled and experienced teacher to teach these courses. And most of those teachers have left. Even if they have the course, you need somebody who's very seasoned to teach that. And since the quality of education has gone down, you know, graduates are less successful and the enrollment in massage schools has been, you know, greatly reduced, making it even harder for schools to make enough money to pay teachers well and, and, and have the kind of services you need to run a really good school. Now, once the corporate schools became dominant, smaller quality schools were also driven out of business. A bunch of them have closed. Then, of course, there's enrollment. You know, the, the corporate schools recruit people out of high school. We rarely, and when I had a school, we rarely ever accepted somebody who was under 21. Only, you know, very rare cases. Most of our students were much older and looking for second careers, you know, that had some kind of meaning massage therapists need a certain amount of maturity to work with people in a, in the intimate way, you know, that we do. So, you know, the corporate schools came in and they kind of hurt a lot of the environment. We were getting better and better and better, but those courses are all gone or they're taught by very inexperienced people. I just did some research on this for a, a big company uh, and found when my research that the, you know, what I talked about just now. Hmm. So what we need to do is the corporate schools need to get out of the business, which they're doing. And the small schools have to start up again, which they're doing. And I predicted this like 10 years ago that this would happen because the big money. Massage schools are a place for self-development. They're not a place to make a lot of money. You know? And you could make money, good money, but you have to really take care of the students and make them into really good therapists and, and not accept people who are too young or immature Or who nobody wants to partner with in the class, you know, and that happens. And that's the signal to counsel the school, the person out of school. But if you're interested in the money, you don't do that. So it's a big problem. It's a big problem. And it'll probably take another five, 10 years to resolve it as the corporate schools get out, which I hope they do.
0: And in terms of the ethics education, of course you have to have the classes, which it sounds like they're cutting them. Uh, but what else, what are the suggestions would you have specifically for those ethics classes to help um, either prepare therapists for the challenging situations that they may encounter or to help curb the type of activity or the curb the type of people that, we, that we're talking about?
1: Well, you've got to do really good screening. You've got to really do really good interviewing. And you've got to... Uh, ask people to leave the program if they're inappropriate. You know, that's, that's a crucial piece of it that people are very reticent to do. Um, and, and you have to do stuff in your education like you don't just talk about what you do when a client gets an erection or when a, a female client maybe asks you out or a male client or whatever. You have to do role plays of those things and really do them over and over and over and over again. So it becomes automatic for the therapist to know how to set boundaries, Because you have to be able to set boundaries in your life in order to set boundaries in a therapy session. And people who hug all their clients or ask them personal questions or don't drape them well, those are the people who are are in danger. When you get all that power and you're around a person who is less powerful, is lying down, doesn't have clothes on, you're tempted. So you have to have a certain level of emotional maturity. And the people who do this abuse don't have that. And they're not screened out.
0: So why do you think we have the problem of the predatory massage therapist? Is, is it just that there's not the filter in the massage school, or is there something else?
1: Well, we have predators in every industry, as the news showing over the last year or so. You know, I think there are many issues in our culture and our society that you know, we're not going to fix here. <clears throat> I guess there are just two, two issues. One I talked about is education, and you know, I think we could make training longer. That's another piece I didn't mention because trainings now are like jammed into like six months or something or nine months. That's not enough. You need much longer programs, not just more hours, but over a length of time so people can develop. Training should be at least a year and a half, maybe two years. My program originally was three years, and then we went down to two years. You should have at least 1,000 hours, and it shouldn't be over a six-month period. It's just that's too short for development. Um, Therapists need time to mature, to – learn about themselves in the, in the work. And, you know, we need to also not just improve the hours and the time, but also have really good training in ethics, really good training in boundaries. Talk about sexuality, uh, talk about communication, train people in these things. And that's not that common anymore. And it wasn't that common to start with. And don't or recruit or accept people from high school, uh, except if they're really, really mature. Another piece is to pay teachers what they're worth. Pay teachers more, pay ex- so you get experienced teachers. And also review the teachers in a consistent way, which you do in a good school. Uh, you know, We would sit in and evaluate teachers twice a year, give them feedback, uh, never let a teacher teach in school without going through at least a year of teacher training. And I don't just mean an apprentice for a year where you're hanging out with the teacher. We train teachers for a year after graduating And we made sure they worked as a therapist for two years before we hired them, except in, you know, rare uh, instances. So that's one area in a little more detail. The second area is better hiring screening practices. You know, most but not all sexual abuse cases occur in large spas and clinics. You know, they're desperate to hire therapists because we don't have that many anymore. It's about... I'd say a third to 40% less therapists graduating from massage schools now than there was 10 years ago. And uh, so they're, gonna, they're lowering their standards for hiring. Some, you know, have always had low standards because they, they want profits, some of the corporate places. Um, you know, if you stay smaller, longer, and you build sustainable, sustainably with strategies and just build a clientele, but places want to grow fast. They want a lot of profits. I remember one case I testified in, um, just doing a simple Google search would have turned up that this person was a predator therapist who was convicted of rape. They didn't even do a Google search, you know, like, I mean, a pretty simple thing. And this guy went on to abuse multiple women, you know, in a fairly large company. Uh, the other issue is that managers of spas and large clinics, clinics don't know how to spot red flags of abuse. Uh, that 's just about how it begins and, and how do you handle those complaints about boundary violations. You know the spa or clinic should send out surveys to all the clients of a particular therapist who even got one complaint of sexual inappropriateness. You know most of them don 't do that. You know, they should also use secret shoppers to investigate anyone who 's had a complaint against them. Uh, a secret shopper is a person who comes. In as an undercover person and has a massage <clears throat> to see how the therapist behaves. You know, many spas don't suspend or investigate a therapist when a complaint, like, uh, he touched me in the side of my breast when I was lying on my stomach, or the drape, drape, or the drape kept falling off. You know, these are frequent red flags, little behaviors that tell you this therapist <clears throat> is getting ready and is testing the client's boundaries to see if this person is going to you know, go further with this particular person. You know, some clip predator the therapists, of course, abuse a person in the first session, but most don't. They usually test the first session, the second session. And then they slowly cross boundaries. They ask inappropriate questions They tell the person personal things about themselves. So then the therapist starts to work a little higher on the inner thigh. The drape, you know, kind of is loose and begins to fall off various times then they lean their pelvis the front of their pelvis against the person's leg or when they're working at the top of the head to the head uh, or they touch the sides of a woman's breast when they're lying face down and this escalates and escalates and if the person doesn't say anything and it ends up in full-blown sexual abuse and battery that's kind of how it happens so that's a long-winded answer to your question.
0: Um, just uh, stepping a little sideways from the sexual abuse angle uh, back into the injuries side of things, uh, what are some of the most common ways you see massage therapists injuring clients? I know it's a smaller part of your expert witness mm-hmm. uh, caseload, but what are some of the ways that that, that, that plays out? Well, it's,
1: it's most often well-intentioned ignorance, actually. Nobody's out there hurting people because they want to. Um, in order to work with people who are injured, you really need to have the skills to figure out what's injured and know if you have the skill set, and it's your in your scope of practice to work with that particular kind of a problem. Uh, many massage therapists get a very small amount of training and injury work in school, or they take a weekend workshop, and then they believe they can work with anybody in pain, which they can't. You know, first, you know, any client who has pain has to have seen a doctor to get it checked out because you can have uh, all kinds of things. You can have a pain in your low back uh, because you strain something, a ligament, a muscle, or you could have a kidney stone, or you could have cancer. Um, you know, Second, you have to have a set of tools, including detailed history taking and know what those answers mean, uh, and a detailed set of assessment, testing skills. You know, for example, if you're going to test a neck fully, <clears throat> you're going to Know how to perform 40 separate tests on the neck. The shoulder takes about 30 tests. Most therapists haven't got any idea that this is true. For example, if you have, uh, you also have to understand referred pain. If you have a pain in your leg or your arm or your upper back, it's most likely that it's not coming from your leg or arm or upper back. Referred pain means that you have injured a tissue in one place. And the pain is in a completely different place, maybe six inches away, maybe two or three feet away. So an injury to the shoulder, for example, usually hurts in the upper arm, in the area of the biceps or triceps. However, the injury is usually in a tendon that's way, way up on the top of the shoulder, several inches away at least. And if you massage the arm, you don't get any results. A neck injury uh, often causes pain in the upper back as well as the arm. And you have to have the skills to differentiate these injuries in order to treat people, you know, who are having that kind of pain. I remember one case where a therapist massaged a, a client's sore arm. It wasn't referred pain; it was a sore arm, and he used a lot of force because he thought that's what you should do. And and I've seen this with men and women therapists, and uh, and the therapist used a lot of pressure, uh, and the person couldn't use their arm for about six months. It was shaking; it was painful. And they just came in with a sore arm and another person has a little maybe soreness in their back and, and therapists break a rib by using a lot of pressure.
0: This is not an uncommon uh, event. Hmm. So why do you think therapists take these risks when working with a client that they may not fully understand the issue or they may not be trained to handle the issue? Why do, why do they take the risk to do that?
1: Well, I think the education is so poor in this area that therapists really – don't know they're taking a risk. They don't know because, you know, they just don't get the training. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm always amazed that, you know, therapists all the time, you know, are working with people in pain and they have no basic training in it. I believe that every massage therapy school should have a track for relaxation and another track for working with injuries. And that track should include extensive education in history, taking assessment, testing, various forms of treatment. And it takes at least 150 hours to accomplish this. And it should be a specialty that you have after you complete school, maybe, uh, and you get a special kind of certification. And you know, and all those hours should not be training online. Some of them can be, but most of them should be in person. Uh, and if they are online, a person should have like a one-on-one private session with the teacher to, to know what they're doing. When I, when I certify people after they take my DVD course, I see them in person. I have them do everything on me before I'll certify them like in the neck or the shoulder or something like that because you got to know these things pretty well. Hmm. I don't think they know they're taking a risk. I think it's just ignorance because schools don't teach it.
0: So what are some steps that massage therapists themselves can take to avoid making some of these mistakes? It sounds like education is the key here.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you're interested in working with people who have pain, you know, take an extensive course on assessment and treatment of injuries. Do it mostly in person, then continue to get training, and if possible, work under the supervision of a more skilled therapist for about a year or two. Uh, the therapists who I have successfully, you know, worked with, who succeeded, that I've trained them uh, for a couple of years, and then I've had them bring their clients who have. Pain into me, and I watch them do the assessment, and I kind of coach them with lots and lots of clients. Those are the people who are the most skilled. So that's something uh, I think that's different.
0: So I've been asking this question to most of my guests this year, and curious to see, you know, from our conversation we just had, what what your answer is going to be. What is the most memorable mistake you have made with a client?
1: Yeah, I've made lots of mistakes uh, over the years, and I, I always teach students you have to make at least three mistakes a day to learn anything. So I'll give you one about 45 years ago. um, I didn't know a whole lot, but I thought I did. And, um, you know, I did not insist that a particular client go to see a doctor and she needed surgery, not massage. And I was young and green and I had no idea, you know, what I was really doing. And so eventually she did get her surgery, but you know, I should have, which I insist now that every single person who has any kind of injury, sees a doctor to screen out things that we just don't know about
0: and if you could go back now what how would you have handled the situation differently uh when she oh, showed up have, in your office
1: i would have said you absolutely have to see a doctor before we continue or i'll continue with you, but you have to promise me that you're going to see a doctor within the next few weeks hmm. and i probably would have given her the name of a doctor that i know that i know would see her soon and i, I know it's good hmm. i mean you learn by making mistakes i mean i, I yeah, you know, I didn't know a lot of things, and now I still don't know a lot of things. Matter of fact, I discovered something completely new last week, you know. What was about was lig- It was a ligament in the back that I didn't think you could access with your hands, and I found out from a physical therapist friend of mine that you can So I have to go and revise things now. So, you know, there's always more and more learning uh, to do, and you're going to make mistakes, and that's okay, but, but send everybody to a doctor, have really good boundaries, you know, be very careful, don't make claims that you can do stuff that you can't.
0: <laughs> All right. Very good. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Ben. I really appreciate it. Okay. Great. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, thank you so much for tuning in today. If you enjoyed the episode, please go ahead and review it on iTunes. And if you have any questions that you had wished I had asked or topics you want me to cover in the future, please visit the website at www.howsthepressure.com where you can send me an email and hopefully I can include it. Until next time, be good and be well.